Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. This is the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Gas it up. Hello, shooters, and welcome back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Got another truck cast coming your way. I think these are going to work out. I've long I got some content to talk about. It's, it's worked out pretty well for me to have the time to uh, get the podcast out there. I just don't have the time at the house anymore like I used to or, or at the office. So this is working out well for me. Hopefully working out well for you guys to, to get more content out to you. Uh, just leaving the range today. The downside of the truck cast is I can't sit back with a nice glass of Jameson's and a cigar and talk to you, but we'll still have, have time for that as well, I hope. Uh, but just leaving the range today, a lovely, I think, second day of fall in Florida, 90-something degrees, so it was a good day on the range, but not as hot as our standard, but still plenty warm. A little three-gun practice in today with uh, Brad, a buddy of mine. And we worked with a, a 22 long rifle AR, uh, which was pretty cool. I've never, never seriously uh, done a training session with that before. I mean, I've shot him from time to time, and after, as we were doing this, it got to me thinking. My my wife actually has a has one of those M and P 22s uh, ARs, so I may I may fit that puppy up with. A little scope on there, and uh, it's, it's not a bad rifle. The handguard's not really appropriate. It's got one of the tactical quad rail things that are useless. So if I can get a somewhat similar handguard to, to the one I use and get a scope on there, I may try to implement that implement that into some of my training. It was obviously you're saving money with um, with the cost of the ammo, but uh, another big benefit is you can shoot targets that you couldn't otherwise shoot with a rifle so you can shoot closer distance steel targets if you were you know working transitions or something for example you could run the steel challenge stages uh, we had some reduced size I think four inch steels we put it at like 30 40 and 50 and we'll work in uh, a couple of barricade uh, VTAC barricade positions uh, so I thought it was really valuable valuable training actually for just getting set up, which is more than half the battle in, in uh, long-range rifle work, uh, getting set up and stable and, and getting a good accurate shot off instead of just canking rounds down range and, and hoping to hit something. Uh, so that was cool. Definitely something I'm going to work on more in the future. And then we shot some some regular rifle, and here we go with the equipment problems again. I broke my mount for my scope. I think it's... Uh, American Defense or something. I, I got to look at it. I took some pictures. I'll give them a shout. I'm sure they'll take care of me, but but a screw basically just sheared off of the, the mounting screws that goes through your rail. And I shot a little bit. It still had another piece of the mount on there that was holding it on decent enough to hit the 200, but obviously not something you want to happen. So I'm sure there'll be some vetting out of the equipment in 3-Gun just like there is in and pistol and probably more more of it because there's three more guns so more more things to break more things to figure out and, and more things to mess with 
I'm going to kick this podcast off with a little bit of self-defense topic. We've been on the competitive stuff from the World Shoot for the last couple of uh, couple of casts. I still do want to keep a self-defense flavor to the podcast and because it's I am a self-defense-minded guy and I try to gear a lot of my training, or some of my training at least, towards that. Uh, I talk a little bit about traveling abroad, and I'm not a world traveler by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, not something I'm super interested in, but it was a good experience, and you know, not something that I would I would change. <clears throat> but going to France for the world shoot, and I, I've seen this at at every world shoot, the ones I attended and the ones I didn't. You know, people talk about the problems with the country and the security risks with the country, and. That's probably just people talking. You know, I'm, I'm sure things are never as bad as folks lead on, but no doubt there has been recent terrorist attacks in France that we've we've seen about on the news and in Paris and other areas. So it was something I was certainly concerned with. Again, especially uh, especially with bringing the family. <clears throat> and then on top of that, I, I did some just some preliminary Google searching and talking to other folks that have been to the area before. And they were saying that, that pickpockets are a big problem, especially like in the tourist areas of like Paris. Uh, and they, you know, they tend to work in working groups, and they're professionals. So you think, I would think, and you would probably think too, like nobody's gonna put their hand in my pocket and me not know it, and then pull something out of there. But that's probably a little naive, you know, when you get to when you get in a super populated area like that. There's a lot going on behind you, and, and these guys and, and gals aren't aren't dumb, you know, they're they're. They're professionals in their trade. They know what they're doing and distraction techniques and uh, bumping into you or can I take your picture or hold your camera or buy this flyer or buy this piece of chocolate or, you know, whatever techniques that they use to distract you. And then next thing you know, you've lost your phone, lost your wallet, lost lost whatever. Uh, so that was something that was pretty, pretty common uh, across the Internet and, and looking at traveling in that area. Uh, and you could say... Well, again, you're just paranoid, you're just reading the internet, but uh, a good friend of ours that, that traveled with us uh, were in Paris before we were, had, had just that very thing happen. They lady had her purse stolen, inside of it was her, her phone, all of her credit cards, her, her daughter's purse, which was a, a gift, an irreplaceable gift. And, you know, obviously the the credit cards and is a massive inconvenience and the phone is a massive inconvenience none of it is life-threatening or into the world and and it wasn't a life-threatening situation they were there to, to steal a purse and, and they succeeded uh, in it but it was a setup they were at, at a restaurant and they think from you know kind of reviewing the experience in their head they think that the restaurant employee was involved the the waiter was doing some type of a demonstration magic trick goof-off thing to impress their daughter and them and had their full attention and meanwhile they turned around and didn't even know it right away but turned around later and, and her purse was gone you know, so those things do happen and true to you know what I'd read in my research it happened pretty much exactly like they, they said it was going to happen uh, a little bit to you know one reason we didn't have to worry so much about that is I didn't spend any time in Paris as I mentioned before my uh, my you know focus number one was the, the competition and competing and focus number two was going to Normandy and as soon as the the match was announced that that's where it was you know I told my wife that I, I wanted to spend significant time in Normandy I didn't give a shit if we went to Paris at all I've seen the Eiffel Tower on TV and 
I've seen the Mona Lisa on the internet, so that's that's good enough for me. And had we had the time, you know, had it worked out, I certainly would have liked to have seen those things, but uh, priorities were priorities, and it, it didn't work out. So I, we really spent no time in Paris other than landing and getting the car and rolling out and then rolling back in, returning the car and taking off. Uh, so that was that was all we saw of that. So I wasn't in the real touristy populated areas. We stayed in a very rural uh, the, the match itself was in a small town, not rural, but small town in Chateroux. And then we stayed uh, further south from there in a, in a town called Mosnay, which was basically farm country. The, the house that we stayed at, the castle that we stayed at was, I don't know where their property lines were, but it was probably a you know, five or ten acre piece of property. There was really nobody, nobody around there. And not that you can't have security problems in that in that scenario but I certainly consider them less likely you know I don't even think the cabin or the castle door locked she gave us a key to the place it was like one of those massive skeleton keys like a off of a cartoon or something I guess it actually locks things but you know we didn't even lock the front door whether whether we were there or gone I didn't lock the car at night they left the keys in the car and you know I brought the brought the guns in the room but uh, there was really no issues at all down there and then even in the Chateau area, we were, I was concerned with, you know, smash and grab. And again, some of the stuff I'd read said, don't leave things in your car that are visible. And we had a, I don't know what the hell kind of car it was. It was called an Opal, but not like the old Opals we know. It was basically the best way to describe it. It was like a Subaru Outback. And so it had a, you know, four-door wagon type thing with a hatchback or a, you know, gate door in the back. And it had one of the shade thingamajiggers that you can pull over the back and lock in so people can't see uh, what's in your trunk or what's in your, your back area. You know, so I, I did that, but we were in that town a lot with, with all our guns and gear. You know, we'd leave leave the range and stop there for lunch because where we were staying was another 25 minutes south. Uh, stop there for lunch and, you know, go have lunch, come back. and So I was worried about it at the beginning, but you know, at some point, if you're if you're going to travel like this again, I haven't done a ton of international travel, but I've done a fair amount. You've got to you got to just accept <clears throat> things that might happen, and you can't live scared and not not do things because you're too worried about you know something going wrong. You kind of have to to accept it, and you know if it happens, it happens. It sucks, but I can replace guns, and you know life life will go on. I'm not going to avoid seeing things. You know, I'm not going to be stupid, but I'm not going to avoid seeing things and doing stuff because uh, because I've got a gun in the car, and you know, so we didn't see we didn't see any problems at all in terms of that type of stuff, terrorist type stuff, pickpocket type stuff. Uh, obviously, as I said, I know it happens, but you know, it was it was never an issue. But you still try to be vigilant. You know, you do what you can. You take reasonable precautions. Uh, the biggest thing I've always said across the board is situational awareness. Just kind of be aware of where you are and who's around you and what's going on and you know try not to to have a blind eye to things around you and if that spidey sense goes off the I do believe in that sixth sense there's if your hairs on the back of your neck are standing up you know probably don't want to ignore that you know at least give it some attention and and see what's going on I'd rather be embarrassed and get up and walk out of a restaurant or run out of a restaurant or, or whatever and and nothing happens then the other way around where you ignore that and, and something goes wrong that you could have avoided 
Uh, you know, weapon-wise, we're we're in France. This is kind of interesting. There wasn't a lot of guidance on. There was some, but there wasn't a lot of guidance on the import process and coming into Paris with guns. Uh, we had import paperwork, uh, supposedly squared <coughs> squared away. <coughs> excuse me, squared away by the organization that was putting on the event. Uh, they had our serial numbers ahead of time and uh, knew we were coming in, you know, knew we were landing with guns, etc. And sure enough, we land in Charles de Gaulle in Paris, Charles de Gaulle Airport, and go down to baggage claim, and boom, here comes our bag off the, off the carousel, just like you were landing in Raleigh, North Carolina. I mean, it was no different than anything. A uh, little... I don't know if shocking is the right word, but I don't think I expected my gun bag to come out on the carousel like that. So I grabbed my stuff. The only thing we were missing, and because we were traveling with a child, is we had a gate-checked uh, stroller car seat thingamajigger. And that was oversized luggage. So it did not, it, you know, we gate-checked it at the, at the gate in Orlando. And like normally in the U.S., when you gate-check something, it's waiting there when you get off the plane. But it wasn't the case here. It wasn't there. Uh, so we did have to find that. It was a separate, different section for oversized baggage. So we go over and find that. Get all our stuff loaded up. Got the luggage cart thing because we had a ton of luggage. And looking around for customs, and I didn't see any customs. I mean, there, there's a door right in front of me to walk out into the, into the not-so-free world. And nothing stopping me from doing it. So i like, well, I don't know what else to do. So nobody speaks the language, Charlie. And I didn't really want to ask anyway. I mean, I didn't want to grab the first person I found and say, hey, I got a gun. What am I supposed to do? Uh, so we just walked out. And, you know, it didn't go unnoticed or unthought that you know, there was a passport control, so we went through that, or uh, ID control. But, you know, it, it, it did cross my mind that I understand they're having terrorist problems and terrorist attacks here, uh, but what are they doing to guard against it? You know, I just, I, along with probably a thousand of my closest friends just flew into their country picked up ten thousand dollars in guns and a thousand dollars in ammo and walked out onto your streets and nobody knows any better nobody has any idea that I did that uh, so that thought certainly crossed my mind and then we come to find out later that yes we were supposed to go to customs and we had an invitation letter that I had I had printed out and had with me uh, the customs was supposed to view your firearms and stamp that invitation letter and that then became your license to have a firearm while you were in the country. Uh, so I was a little nervous that I didn't do that. And I even asked the guys that did. I was like, well, how the hell did you find customs? And they said, oh, we had to go ask around and find where it was. Uh, but a quick survey of the competitors, and most people did not do that. Most people did as I did. They grabbed their, grabbed their shit and took off. Um, so I was somewhat unnerving, like, well, what's going to happen when I go back? But again, that goes back to that out of my control thing and not going to live in fear so it's it was done deal and I figured I'll just cross that bridge when I get there uh, it ended up being ended up being no big deal at all anyway so that was that was cool uh, but you know other weapons I didn't I didn't search the 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 laws and rules there as much as I probably should have uh, pretty much figured I couldn't carry a gun around so I didn't plan on doing that uh, but I did have my you know, daily carry blade, my locking blade. Uh, however, I brought a crappy locking blade, or a crappier than my, I did not bring my Emerson 
uh, just because I figured, hey, I'm going to have to go through customs when I land there. They, a locking blade might not be legal, and then they might take it from me. Uh, so I brought a lesser expensive one, and of course, no customs. So that was that was cool. At least I had a knife, and while it can certainly be used as a defensive tool, for me, it's more of a box opener, pry bar, fingernail cleaner, gun disassembly tool, you know, all-around screwdriver, uh, all-purpose tool that I don't know how anybody goes through the day without carrying a knife on them. Uh, so it's good to have that. I have one of those super cool tactical pins that I fly with at the steel construction body. Uh, I've been flying with that for years without problems, amazingly. Uh, so I uh, had that, plenty of, plenty of flashlights, some tactical tactical lights with the assault bezel that are good for illuminating your way to the bathroom when it's dark at night uh, and then one thing I did that I haven't done before is I, I took the, the the tire iron which isn't really a tire iron anymore not like not like the uh, cross looking thing that we grew up with it's some really nice club looking thing nowadays uh, so I don't even know where I, I don't know if I read that somewhere or if I just came up with it on my own but as I was loading the car, I went to check to see if there's a spare tire, and there's a, a bunch of metal instruments sitting there. So I thought, well, I'll grab one of these out. So I took that and set it in the driver door compartment uh, holder thing. Uh, so at least I had something, you know, a club-like weapon if carjacking or, you know, whatever. You get out in a weird situation, it, at least there's something. So that's a, a few things that I did that, that uh, you may want to keep in mind if you're traveling around and improvise weapons. And, uh, again... You know, make an effort to have something available if certainly not going to be a, a first-ditch effort, but a last-ditch effort. Uh, I felt at least I had something something to work with. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know if I <clears throat> if I brought this up in previous trips. I don't think I did, but I know I remember thinking about it. Is I've noticed I traveled to Suriname uh, this year, which we talked about a little bit. And then I noticed it in France as well. Um... I didn't notice it in Jamaica, and I didn't notice it in Spanish countries like Mexico or something where they speak Spanish. And But when I was in Suriname, I remember thinking, like, we were in a restaurant or a, a cafe or something for breakfast one morning. And to be clear, it never at any time did I feel the least bit threatened or concerned. It's, that's not the point of this story. But what I noticed was I don't, I don't speak a bit of the language there. And I noticed when there were people talking, like normal run-of-the-mill people on the street not not people affiliated with the shooting sports or the reason I was there we were in a cafe or something and there's two people over the corner talking or uh, a group of four guys walk in uh, or there's some guys on the street with elevated voices in each other you cannot tell if that is a angered situation or a dangerous situation or a threat situation that might be developing Whereas if you're in the U.S. and you hear two guys arguing on the street, it, you can easily, easily and quickly tell like if they're just goofing off or if they're having a serious argument or if they're something about to go down. And that struck me as really odd when you're in a country where you don't speak the language at all, you don't know the cultural at all, the mannerisms at all, that you really have no idea. These guys could be arguing about uh, whose cricket team is better or he could be saying, you just banged my wife last night, now I'm going to blow you up with this suicide vest that I'm wearing. And, and that's the honest to God truth. You have, you have no idea uh, what these guys are talking about or the level of the situation. 
And the same goes for just general appearance. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a racial thing. It's just if, if they look like a, a ne'er-do-well, to use my IDPA term, uh, in the U.S., you can tell. I mean, you know what a guy looks like or a gal looks like that's going to make you cross the street before you walk beside him. And when you're in these other, other countries like that, I didn't have that feeling at all. I mean, everybody not looks the same in terms of physically looks the same, but they all look the same in terms of nobody looks more threatening than the other guy. Nobody looks like a thug. Nobody looks like a criminal. You know, you just can't tell. And I noticed the same thing in France. And again, not a racial deal. Most of you in Suriname were not white. Most people in France were white. And I noticed the exact same thing. So we're walking the streets of Chateau, for example, and there was a um, this didn't actually happen, just an example. There's a group of kids walking along, you know, kids being 14, 15, 17. Um, you, know, you, you can't get a feeling if they're about to throw their skateboard through this plate glass window and rob this place, or if they're about to ask you for a handout for uh, the Church of Our Savior's Jesus Christ or something. It just I, it struck me as really odd in, like, you know, we talk about situational awareness, but... That was a deal or, or a situation where, you know, you because you don't know what you don't know, it's really tough to be aware of that situation. You know, again, they could be screaming at each other about who's the who's the the the, the better shooter, uh, or you know when they're going to draw down and, and knife each other to death or something. They just don't have a sense for uh, for how that's going to work. And I don't know that there's a fix for that other than you know learning the language more or some of the some of the culture more. I just thought it was interesting, something I wanted to bring up. Uh, and I mentioned this before, I'm not a big international travel guy. I don't probably don't appreciate all the history and and uh, things that I that I should appreciate. And, you know, nothing against the French, but good old American, I'm not a big fan of the French and was happy to throw out all the French jokes on the way uh, before the match. You know, we heard a lot about the French folks uh, not liking the U.S. guys or the U.S. people in general. Uh, that if you didn't speak the language, they were rude and unaccommodating. And, you know, I do want to say that we did not find that to be the case at all. Everybody was super nice. And, you know, I mentioned this on, on our podcast, I think, as well. But, you know, like, the town that we were in, the small, relatively small town that the match was in, I'm sure this was a big deal for that town. It was a big boom for that town. Uh, just the same as it was here in Frostproof, where our range is, for the last world shoot. You know, for that, for that really small town, we're talking, you know, 2,500 people in the summertime and maybe eight or 10,000 in the wintertime tops. Uh, pretty small town. So to have such a large event come in like that uh, was a big deal uh, for this little town. And I'm sure it was the same uh, in France. So that's probably part of it. But even the other areas we were in, I mean, we were, you know, we were staying, like I said, 30 minutes or so south of that area. And, you know, we couldn't find uh, the castle, for example, when we got there. They don't have, like, normal street signs, and you can't read them if they do. Uh, Google, uh, or Waze and Google Maps was not taking us where we wanted to, where we wanted to go. Uh, so I just stopped on the street and, and asked somebody. We, I mean, we just landed in Paris, just drew, drove down there where we were at, hadn't talked to anybody or done anything. And here I am trying to talk to a lady. We're in, like, a rural central france she doesn't speak english she has no idea what i'm saying i have no idea what she's saying uh, but i was able to show her on the phone the address and the 
the Google Maps program that we were trying to use. She still had no idea where the hell we were or where the hell we were trying to go, but she was nice. You know, she was trying to help and doing the best that she could. And that was the way I found, uh, that was the, the, the theme that I found wherever we went. People were super nice, super helpful, and not many spoke English. You know, a couple, couple folks spoke, you know, poor English. I found one guy, one, one uh, I, think, I think he was the owner, he was tenant bar when we were there at a little restaurant there in Chateau, but he spoke great English. And he was super helpful. I went back to him a lot of times and talked about places to go and things to do. Uh, and we went over to Normandy, same thing. Not not a lot of not a lot of folks spoke English in Normandy either. A few uh, broken, but and my French is non-existent. I, I knew uh, uh, Merci and and we, and that's about it. Uh, so we used you know we used Google Translate, we used charades, we used whatever methods we could to, to try to talk to people. And it's not like we were asking them complicated questions. It was pretty much, you know, which one of these is a hamburger and where's the bathroom and you know which way do I go to find this place? So basic stuff, but, uh, but everybody there was super nice and we didn't uh, experience any of, the, any of the bad things that we saw. Uh, so I think that'll wrap it up for this one. I was going to hit a question or two, but we're running, running tight on time. So I've still got a couple more lined up from the from the queue. We're gonna again hit the some hurricane prep stuff, a little self-defense deal, and then as I mentioned, I think the cast before last, I've been working on a, a woulda coulda shoulda for the world shoe, which is frustratingly entertaining. I think you might gain some some knowledge out of that on on how uh, you can apply that to your matches. And then I got a whole backlog of shooting questions I'm gonna start going through and and getting in line. So thanks for listening. Uh, hit me up for training if you're interested. Uh, good, good time of year to get some training on the calendar. And I will see you on the range. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Every the class has a real blade of grass.